Locksmith Talk with Aloha is supported by Security Pro Supply. What is Security Pro Supply? Well, it's the new parent brand for HL Flake International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash Companies. While these great company names will continue to live on, associating them together under the Security Pro Supply parent brand allows them to communicate a unified mission, which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. We'd also like to thank HL Flake and Security Pro Supply for partnering with Aloha to promote ongoing virtual education via webinars. It's certainly been an eventful year, but thanks to HL Flake, Security Pro Supply, and Aloha, educational opportunities have remained available for security professionals around the world. For more information about these webinars, please visit aloha.org. Speaking of websites, visit Security Pro Supply's website, securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the exciting company's e-commerce sites. You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through Aloha. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Welcome to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. I'm your podcast host, William Link. Today's podcast episode is entitled Master Keying Mistakes. Lloyd Celeber will discuss common master keying mistakes and why they should be avoided. Lloyd Celeber is a certified master locksmith with a long history in master keying. He started work as a commercial locksmith over 45 years ago. He spent four years as an in-house locksmith with the County of San Mateo, California, and joined Schlage Lock Company in 1988 to work in the Master Key Department. Lloyd stayed there for the next 16 years, and in that period, he worked on tens of thousands of Master Key systems. In 2003, Lloyd joined Dorma Architectural Hardware and set up their Master Keying operations in Pennsylvania and Southern Illinois and then in 2008 left to start a consulting company called Keying Solutions. Keying Solutions specializes in locking and key control projects. Lloyd's been teaching Master Keying with Aloha since 2007, and he's an educational director for the Door and Hardware Institute, DHI, where he's been teaching for over 15 years. Lloyd's joining us today from Las Vegas, Nevada, and we've got a lot to talk about. Hey, how you doing, Lloyd? Just great, just great. Thanks for the introduction, Bill. It's really nice to be here. Oh, no problem. Great. Well, Lloyd, let's jump right into some of the most common Master King mistakes and why they should be avoided and potentially corrected. Now, starting with the odometer analogy or, or method, can you quickly give us a recap on what the odometer analogy is and then talk to us about how it may be misused? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a big one because, and it's so unfair 
that students that come into a master key class who have prior master key experience or training often fall into this trap and people who come in knowing absolutely nothing don't. <laughs> so it's, mm -hmm. so the, the problem is that we, uh, we often teach master keying by asking uh, students to visualize an odometer on a car. Right. And when you visualize an odometer on a car, there's a couple things going on. I think we can all picture it. You know, now odometers are LEDs, but they used to have wheels and the wheel on the right turns the fastest and then the wheel to that turns second fastest and so on. And in general, that's a, a pretty good way to picture things, but there's some details that are off. And the first detail that's off is in the odometer in your car, all the wheels turn. And in a master key system, frequently there are wheels that don't turn and those wheels can be anywhere. They can be, you know, now let's switch from wheels to pin chambers. You know, it can be in any pin chamber, pin chamber one, pin chamber four. It just depends on, on the goal of the system and how the system was set up. So that's the first thing is you don't wanna progress every pin chamber when you don't need to. Many times you're much better off with constants in a system. So great. does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, and that's a good, a good visualization. Excellent. Okay, great. great. Thanks. And then the, the, um, the, the next one is a little more subtle and, and this is one that tricks a lot of people. If you've been doing it one way all your life, it's really hard to get in and change on this one. And I know because when I started at Schlage in 1988, my first master key system I turned in uh, had this problem and my boss called me into, into his office and said, uh, hey, we thought you knew what you were doing. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh-oh. Yeah, so, and, and the, the problem is with the odometer on a car, uh, the, the key biddings as they were, come off of, the, of the, the end of the key, off of the right end of the key. And, and that's the worst place to progress in a lock. Because if you picture someone sticking a key in a cylinder and jiggling it around, you get the most motion there. So to make it uh, uh, harder for someone to jiggle open a, a lock with a wrong key, it's better to start progressing in the middle. Right. So if you can picture an odometer, yeah. And, and this is the way most of the factories do it. You know, Schlage's done it this way. I said before I got there, uh, I worked on some best systems recently that were set up that way. So it's, it's fairly well known at the factory level but because we, we teach using the odometer method, um, sometimes we take it a little too literally and you end up with, uh, with people that can only progress that way off of the end of the key. Right, and also the end of the key is gonna be typically the most worn area of the key too. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, depending on you know, if we're bow to tip or tip to bow, the, the first cut on the key is going to get six or in a six pin lock is going to get six times as much wear Correct. As, as the, I should say the, the um, tip cut as compared to the bow cut. And similarly with the pins, you know, the first pin gets way, way more wear than the last pin in the lock. So you really want to keep your action that's changing frequently around the middle. Good. So, yeah. So that's the, I think that's the main, uh, that's the number one error that we see all the time is, is, over-reliance on the odometer method. Well, now, Lloyd, key biddings in a master key system are basically a finite resource. Do people make mistakes managing key biddings, and oh. is there a way to avoid that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably the second biggest mistake. 
And that one is, uh, let's see, how, how can we explain this? If you're, this is really a problem when you're dealing with a three or four or five level system. You're just dealing with two levels, it's not such a big issue. But when you're dealing with, let's take a three level system. So you've got a, a grandmaster and masters and changes. You have to decide how many, uh, how you wanna allocate your, your number of finite changes and finite masters in the systems. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, there's really two problems here. One is people that use software, the software will often default to something. <clears throat> and if you don't use your master keying software regularly, you kind of forget how to change those defaults and you don't really know what they mean. And I think I can safely say that none of the software is really easy to use in this area. Um, and that if you're not using it all the time, you'll forget. Sure. So what, what we see from time to time is system set up. Someone needed a master of five changes and they took a master of 1024 changes. And that can basically waste a, a quarter of their system right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So numbers I'm using are two-step numbers, but yeah, you know, I think most listeners will get the idea. So you don't want to use a master key that has more changes than you need. Um, because you'll run out, you'll run out of changes and you'll, you'll run out of more masters. And when someone loses a master, you're really in trouble. Ah. So, so now that's the first one. The second problem comes from the dividing the key paradigm and dividing the key is a, a great way to look at master key systems when they're nicely symmetric. So, and right. that's where I say, okay, I, I need five masters of 50 changes. And so I'll say, okay, well, then I'm going to give you 16 masters of 64 changes. And this is fine sometimes, but other times, particularly when you're doing a big system, some of the masters will need more changes than others. And if you default to giving every master the same number of changes as your largest master, you're going to run out. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the finite resource will be exhausted much earlier. So, um, so there I'd say when you're, when you're doing a system that's kind of approaching the, the limits, you need to use a more sophisticated analysis than just jumping in, dividing the key and getting out. So if I'm understanding, what you're saying is that it's critical when you're setting up a system to think about expansion at that point. Is that correct? Right, right. Think about expansion. Think about how you where you want to leave yourself the most expansion. Now, one way to look at a system that's kind of helpful is, a, is, is really three phases of a master key system. And I'm gonna use two-step numbers now just, just to discuss it. Okay. So in the first phase, you've used under a quarter of your system. And when you've used under a quarter of your system, you have a lot of flexibility and you really, there's a lot of directions you can go, you can change a lot of things. When you get to the point where you've, you've used more than a quarter, now you're in the middle area and now you got to be a little more careful because um, you're constrained in a lot of directions now. And then I'd say the final phase is when you're in the last 25%, when you've used 75% of your system in two step. So you, you've got one pin chamber left. Um, now you're, you're near the end of life of the system and you need to be really careful. So when you set up a system, the moment you get over, over that 25% level, now you need to be really careful. And you need to lay things out carefully and you need to make sure that you're not allocating more changes to a master than you need. Um, 
yeah. So that's that's basically the the way to approach it. Let's say you are getting near the end of your system. You've used up 90 plus percent. Aside from just redoing it on a different keyway, are there any quick suggestions there? Uh, no. If you, uh, well, I shouldn't say no so quickly. Maybe is a better answer. When you have a top key with a, a lot of changes in it, um, you need to really look at, at kind of the goal of the master key system. Is the goal to have everything under one top key or is the goal to be able to get indoors quickly and efficiently? And usually it's the latter. And so very often you can break a large system up into a, a couple of smaller systems. So that's one way. And then the next way is, is you may need to look at a different product. If you really need a large system and you're doing it with a, a product that doesn't give you a lot of changes, it may be time to uh, uh, reevaluate that decision. Well, I, I really agree with the idea that having one large system under one top master, there's just so much volatility there. Right. Uh, you lose that key and look what you have to deal with. Uh, in setting up a system, I would think it'd be wise to try to convince the owners uh, or the people in charge to break it up into maybe four systems or or more, depending on the situation. Uh, you know, it's the idea that why does someone have to have one key that operates everything? Uh, you know, I know there's an idea of power, there's an idea of ego, uh, all of those things, but is it really practical? I guess that's the question. Yeah, that's that. You're bringing up a really good uh, topic here. So, um, the top key. Um, very often, when we talk about how a top key is going to be used, the the thing I tell people is when they ask, for example, who gets the top key, who carries the top key in a facility, mm -hmm. and in a in a large facility, I say anybody can get the top key. All they have to do is pick up the phone and call security and the top key will show up and it shows up with its own security officer. And in fact, there's right. usually two and one has the key and the other has a notebook and in the notebook, he's gonna write down everything that happened with that key. And, and that's the way the top keys are supposed to be used. The top key is used by the, the, uh, the organization responsible for security and safety in a facility. Mm. That's the goal of the top key. So, with that in mind, what they're doing is they need to quickly and efficiently open doors to handle a variety of situations. And if, you're, if your facility uh, is organized in a way that I can always tell where I am, for example, I have a top key for the hotel tower, and then I have a top key for the base building, or I have a top key for my north campus and a top key for the west campus, you can break it up easily. So a person's going to go and handle that emergency. They know the area where they're going and they know what key to take with them. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to break up systems. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's one methodology for it. And uh, one way that I, I've helped with some uh, institutions by utilizing the key retainer device where masters for certain areas are locked into this box and the person with the authority can remove it temporarily to do their work 
and return it so it's in a certain place all the time. Well, we're talking more about key control now, which prevents having to redo a master key system from lost, stolen keys, etc. I think there's a lot of validity in making sure that your keys are where they're supposed to be, uh, and those who have or should have access can have it, and those that shouldn't, shouldn't have them. I guess the old idea of every custodian taking a top master home with him or her at the end of the day is really kind of a thing of the past or starting to be. Do you agree? Totally. <laughs> it's it's a thing of the past. In fact, it's so far in the past, I almost can't remember. What, uh, I, I can't name a facility where that's done anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it just, it's, we're kind of living in the information era. And in the information era, people want to know who has keys. They want to know when was the last time that you verified they had the key. Um, the key retaining device that you're talking about and kind of the more modern version, which is the computer controlled key cabinet, those have extended the life of master key systems to the point where this product that was designed, what, in the 1800s is still the number one device that's used to lock doors today. You're so right. it's just, you know, what's keeping it going, I think, is the ability to track keys using either a key retaining device or uh, a computer key management system. Uh, you know, and by that, I mean a, a key box that uh, keeps track of who took the key and when they took it. And then finally, just key control software and people picking up the phone and, and auditing and saying, hey, do you still have this key? What I found out is so many principals of schools or resident directors, they're not locksmiths, and they don't really understand a lot about key control. That seems to be a big problem, a big mess when I walk into facilities, and they have no idea who has what key. Uh, because it's not their thing. They just don't do it. So one thing, again, that we've done are the, the uh, I've sold so many of the key retainers to colleges, universities, where they know where that key is. But the software is also excellent if someone can be in charge of it. Because again, if you know where your keys are, you're in a much better situation than when you don't. And you can extend the life of that master key system. Yeah, you're bringing up another really good point, which is uh, about the software and that someone has to run it. And this is something that facilities run into when you go from having no key control to suddenly keeping track of keys. Yes, it's a full-time job. You know, for a lot of facilities, um, you, need to, you need to add staff, essentially, or take staff away from other uh, activities just to monitor all the keys and keep track of them. If you really want to be able to uh, report on who has keys when and who went where when, that, that produces a lot of data and it, it takes a, uh, someone to manage it. And that's something where with the, the key retaining device, it's a little easier. You know, there's no IT component, there's no data being collected. Right. So that's, that's the, the advantage of that. Of course, the disadvantage is you don't know who took the key when. Right, right. So well, I guess that, yeah. that brings that brings me right into we're just talking about, you know, documentation in one way or another. Now, it's often said that improper document prep leads to misunderstandings. If you wouldn't mind, first walk us through the documentation process for master key systems in new construction and then tell us how shortcutting that problem 
can lead to problems in a master key system. Oh yeah. Okay. So in in new construction, it's uh, it's interesting to note the entire process here. So the process is uh, an architect writes a specification, and usually in the area of doors and hardware, uh, someone helps the architect with that. Someone who's you know deep into doors and hardware writes the specification, um, and and in other areas, you know the architect draws. Uh, they produce plans and specifications for what they want. And then that goes out to bid. And then the contractor who's going to actually build it uh, prepares a submittal. And again, in our industry, indoors and hardware, the, the hardware dealer usually helps with that submittal. But the submittal is basically a, a document that says, okay, I, I read what you wanted. Now I'm going to give you very detailed, here's what I'm going to deliver. And then that submittal is reviewed by the architect, the architect signs off on it, and then you go ahead and start construction. So you've got uh, a very detailed step of producing a, a drawing that says, here's exactly what I'm gonna do. And, and then you submit that to the architect in, in new construction, and the architect uh, reviews it, comments on it, and, uh, and approves it. So if you, if you shortcut that step, uh, which is common in the aftermarket. And it may be too strong of a statement to call it a mistake, but it's certainly risky. Then you have an understanding in your mind of the way you want that master key system to work. The owner may not have the same understanding. And, and that can lead to a lot of problems. It can lead to people saying, wait a minute, I thought I had a key that did this, or mm-hmm. wait a minute, I, I didn't want a key that did this. And now this person's doing, you know, they're going places they shouldn't go. So to avoid it, would really recommend that people follow the new construction process and create a detailed keying schedule and, uh, and draw a simple keying schematic, not that difficult to do. And, and then sit down with the owner or whoever is signing off on the key system, explain to them how it's going to work, uh, get their signature on the documents, and then, and then begin cutting keys and pinning cylinders. Makes a lot so, of sense. Yeah, shortcutting that step is, is, is not a good idea. So I think that's the, the main point there to cover. Now, Lloyd, Guy Robinson was the guest for our first three episodes uh, to discuss workplace communication. A point that Guy stressed through each of the three episodes was that even well-intentioned communication can have dire consequences if it's not effective communication. So is it safe to say that you agree with that sentiment? And (laughs) does this ever, ever come up in Master Keying? Yeah, yeah, this is a great one. And that that was a really good series with Guy. And so it really- Oh, he was great. Yes, yes. Yeah, if people haven't heard it, I would would recommend going through it. um, so uh, one of the areas that's, that's hard for, for locksmiths to communicate with non-locksmiths is the vulnerabilities in master keying. So the, we don't have a lot of tools to do it. And, and uh, what I would call a mistake is people going into meetings and saying, well, it's convenience versus security. That's the end of it. You know, or master keying is the planned destruction of a security system. You know, these are cliches that don't provide the decision makers with a lot of information. So let's consider for a minute a communication with the security director. You're dealing with the security director in a a large facility, just 
we'll take that example and then we can look at another example. Sure. But in, in this situation, the security director is probably dealing with 20 or 30 different vendors. And they've got, a, they've got the, the lock supplier and they've got maybe an access control contractor and they've got a visitor's management system. And we just talked about these key management systems. They may have people for those. So they've, they've got all these different products that they need to consider and video surveillance and, and uh, cybersecurity and all of the above. Mm-hmm. And the way that they do this is they, they make a, uh, a threat model. You know, they, they determine what threats they want to put their security resources into, into uh, thwarting. And, and for them to really understand that, what they need from us is to know what the vulnerabilities are. And so instead of just telling them, oh, it's security versus convenience, there's nothing you can do. If you want a master key, you have no security. Uh, start with master keying adds these vulnerabilities. It creates some new vulnerabilities. And a good vulnerability to start with is, okay, now we've got one key that if that one key gets out of our control, we have a disaster on our hands. We can't stop that key from, from working. You know, and, and another vulnerability is how easy is it for someone to copy that key? If I have that key for just five minutes, you know, can I, uh, can I make a copy of it? Or maybe five minutes is an exaggeration. You know, maybe mm-hmm. if I've got the key for a couple hours, can I run right. down to the, the grocery store and stick it in the kiosk and make a copy? Mm-hmm. So those are vulnerabilities. And, and if you start talking about those vulner, vulnerabilities and then what we can do to mitigate them. So that will bring you into, uh, you know, key control products and, and that may help the security director make a decision on how they want to use their, their resources on that. Another vulnerability to talk about is really specific to master keying uh, technically. So do we have one control key that operates property-wide? And if we do, there's a vulnerability, which is that someone can examine one cylinder, they can take one cylinder out of the door and make the control key. And then they can take any core out of any lock. Uh, we don't have to set it up that way. There's not a law that says there has to be one control key for the whole project. We can split it up mm-hmm. based on, on where cylinders are more vulnerable to theft than others. Um, and similarly with, with taking locks apart and, and uh, you know, or, or otherwise examining the locks, you don't necessarily need to take them apart to, to make the master key. You know, that's a vulnerability that, that master keying brings into a product. And so, so these are these are the ways to uh, the ways to present the information to the security community is explain the vulnerabilities and let them make a security decision. You know, let them decide where they're going to spend their resources. We want to take a moment to thank Security Pro Supply again for supporting Locksmith Talk with Aloha. Security Pro Supply is the new parent brand for HL Flake, International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash companies. These great companies have been in business for many years and continue to support the industry that they serve. While the existing company names will continue to live on, associating them together under the Security Pro Supply parent brand allows them to communicate a unified mission which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. One of the main ways they live up to this mission is by offering an incredibly broad selection 
One call to any of the Security Pro Supply companies gives you access to over 45,000 items that are in stock and ready to ship to you. This selection covers both mechanical and electronic hardware, as well as a huge selection of OEM and aftermarket automotive keys and remotes. Even better, Security Pro Supply companies have a wide footprint with five convenient locations across the U.S. Houston, Texas, New York, New York, Memphis, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Florida, and Portland, Oregon. Security Pro Supply, one of the supplier that is truly offering a full line of security products to the security professional. Visit them at securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the existing company's e-commerce sites. You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through ALOA. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Any well, questions it, about that? Well, it appears, to, to sum that up, it would appear that there has to be a delicate balance between convenience and security when you're setting up the system. Would you agree? Uh, maybe. Um, I wouldn't say convenience and, and security. And the reason is that it's not really convenience. It's really operational efficiency. And so the operational efficiency is the you know, what's the goal of the system is I, I need mm -hmm. to be able to get indoors quickly if we're responding to an emergency or right. if we're just performing regular business procedures, you know, we're, we're taking a bug spray guy around. I need to have a way to do these things efficiently and safely. That's what a security director is looking for. So that's when, when we say convenience, it makes it sound like a luxury and operating mm -hmm. a facility um, efficiently isn't really a luxury. That's something that you need to be able to do. And security is kind of a big picture thing. So uh, to really understand the security, you need, to, you need to know what you're securing from. You need to have a threat model. And, and that's why you know, we provide vulnerability information, but let the security people do their job. Let them decide what the, the best security, the, the best way to use their resources for security is. Does that make sense? Oh, that does. Yes, definitely. I guess there was sort of a confusion there between, as you said, efficiency and uh, and uh, convenience. And I think you clarified that very, very well. Definitely. Great. Thanks. So the other thing uh, to consider is it is really uh, something a lot of security people are are looking at now is resiliency and business continuity <clears throat> and a key system with one top key or a key system uh, with other, you know, that's set up in, in a way that makes it hard to recover from a lost key. That's a kind of a brittle system. And in today's world, security people are looking at, at ways to prevent that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so in the next step, and this is one that I might want to go through with uh, uh, people who are not, security professionals. So if you're dealing with a, a property management company or something, and there's not one person in there who's really responsible for security and safety, that person's also responsible for the general facilities management. And, you know, they just, they may not have a lot of bandwidth to really think about security. 
mm-hmm. uh, you need to you need to spell things out um, in a little more detail with them. So what can happen is the person in this apartment can take their lock apart and make a key and get into the next apartment. So the, how would you know? How do we combat that situation? And there's a situation where, and here, you know, I'm, I'm picturing as I'm discussing this, I'm picturing a, a rental property management. And the way to handle that situation is SKD. You know, KD is different. There <laughs> yeah. should be no information between this lock and that lock, unless you're, you know, the, unless you're carefully vetting who the tenants are and, uh, and keeping good records and you feel like that's a risk that you want to take for the operational efficiency. I think you brought up a great point when we're dealing with people that are not in the business of locksmithing as such and really do not understand the the details involved in master keying and you need to explain to them what's going on. Do you run into problems where your talk is at a different level from where their understanding is? In other words, breaking it down in very simplistic language. Oh, yeah. So... And that ties in with the idea of communication. It really right. does. It really does. And and it's not so much that they're not locksmiths. I, I think most of the people that we talk to that are going to be decision makers in this role are actually not going to be locksmiths. They're either uh, it, it they're either going to be security people in general or they're going to be facilities management people. And with the security people, the trend is security is becoming an IT. Uh, uh, discipline. And mm-hmm. so you're going to be dealing with people that that may not understand them uh, much in the way of mechanical uh, uh, workings. You know, they, they don't have a background. They don't have the background that the facilities manager has in, in understanding close fitting parts and things like that. So, so the thing to explain to security people is vulnerabilities. And start with the vulnerability of a lost key and then go into the vulnerabilities of, you know, the reverse engineering. And mm-hmm. then you can go into the vulnerabilities of uh, lock defeat methods, you know, picking and, and impressioning and all that. None of those are made more difficult by master keying. Right. So these are these are vulnerabilities that you want to make the security director aware of, and then they can decide, is that something I want to worry about or not? Good points. Lloyd, let's close out the episode by going back to written communication. Now, oh, what yeah. are the biggest mistakes you see in master key records in the field? And, and go ahead, elaborate. Give us a few examples, if you will. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So... Um, the problem with record keeping is that everybody's in a hurry. And if you don't have a systematic way of making notes in your master key records, um, you will very often make a note in your records or produce written documentation that you come back and look at six months later and say, what the heck was I thinking? And, and, the the uh, corollary of that is if you're in an organization where several people are going to be looking at the records, you'll it's even harder to to know what someone else is doing. So with written records, with master key records, it's a good idea to have um, a company standard on this. And this is what all the 
all the factories have is, you know, when, when you come in, you learn their way of doing things, you learn their way of keeping records. And many of the companies, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take Schlage as an example because uh, that's, that's one where I spent so many years. Uh, it was not unusual for us to get an order into a system that hadn't been touched in 30 years. Let's say that was a month appearance at Schlage. Wow. And usually those were two level systems. Two level systems just last forever. And we could we could go in, find the records and and see exactly what was done and and usually give the customer exactly what they wanted. So there we had a standard of record keeping. You know, what we did is we we wanted our records to accurately reflect what happened on an order. So I'd look in there and it's okay, there have been seven orders into this system and here's what happened on order seven and order six and order five and order three. And you could quickly go back and recount the whole history of the system. And that really made it easy to, uh, to solve problems and get people what they need. So we cover this in the master key training, by the way, too, Bill. So it's, it's kind sure. of the, the master key training is about you know, how, to, how to keep good records. There's a lot of software tools on the market now but very often they, they just approach one aspect or really more correctly, they focus on one aspect. So they focus on creating a bidding list. So a bidding list is great, but you need more than that to keep good records. Sure. Well, let me throw out an example for you. Let's say a company has a locksmith for years and years and that locksmith leaves, he moves away, dies, and they bring in another locksmith and say, hey, will you work with our system and their terrible records? What are the liabilities there? We, we talked a little bit about this with Barry, liabilities in locksmithing. What would you say if a locksmith said to you, should I take that job? I don't know where these keys are, the records are terrible, and they want me to add to the system. What would you advise? Yeah, this is a really um, difficult situation. And and this is a situation, so in, in terms of liability and foreseeability and things like that, the tools that we have to navigate that space are, are um, the ALOA standards. You know, the ALOA technical standards are a good place to start. And, and the next thing to do is to discuss with management because if you're going in, you know, as you say, if you're doing this as, maybe I misunderstood you, but if you're, if you're gonna be an employee, um, then you're really, you're acting uh, for your employer and, and the, if the organization is taking a risk, which they do in master keying, then management of that organization needs to understand that risk. So this is a, uh, you're totally reliant on good communication here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I really answered your question. Well, there, it's not a my, black and white. You know, in my example, yeah, I, I wasn't talking about an institution. Let's just say a business down the street used a locksmith for one of their facilities not in-house and then that locksmith leaves and they want to bring in another they find in the yellow pages and this ah, other locksmith has no idea and they said well come on can't you just make more keys for us and that locksmith says well you know i don't have all the information i need the question is and this this happens quite a bit in locksmithing should that second locksmith just walk in and say sure i'll make whatever keys you want or should they say well wait a minute maybe we need to start a new master king system where records are kept and documentation is taken care of i guess that's where i was what i was getting at 
let me make an analogy. So suppose that, um, you know, in my kitchen, I need a new electrical outlet. And I, I call my electrician and he comes out and he says, hey, you know, I opened your fuse box and I noticed that it, instead of a fuse, you, you have a, a, a couple of quarters stuffed in there and, and this is not safe and, and I'm, I'm not gonna add anything. You know, if you use more electricity, we're, we're gonna be in trouble. And I say, oh, look, this is no problem. I promise you, I won't use both these outlets at the same time. You know, I never use the uh, the iron and, and the pressure cooker at the same moment. <laughs> Great, so, uh, I promise uh, you, I love yeah, that. I promise, I promise. And, and I'll, I'll even sign a waiver and say, I won't do it. Um, what do you think the electrician is gonna do? Well, depends on, it depends job. on it depends on the electrician. And if it were uh, me, yeah. Yeah, I'd kind of walk away on that one. Yeah. I would try to, if I were that electrician, I would try to convince it would be in his best interest to do what I recommended. Yeah, the the electrician has something we don't. So they have the building code, and and they can say no. You know what? There's this is a building code issue. I I can't I can't help. And the electrician also knows that other electricians will not, you know, other other real licensed electricians um, won't violate the building code because that could, uh, uh, it's not the right thing to do. It's not good for the community. It's not good for their company. It's not good for their industry. It could jeopardize their license. Absolutely. Uh, it's not a good business decision. And at Aloha, we don't have a building code that goes into this level of detail on locks and security, but we do have the Aloha technical standards. So I would bring out the Aloha technical standards and just explain to the owner, you know, there's a reason these technical standards exist and, and they don't have the force of, a, of, of law of a building code, but I personally don't want to, don't want to break these rules and I don't recommend you do. And here's a way out of the situation that you're in. Here's a way forward. And that's, that's the most important thing is to focus on the way to get out of where they are. If, if they've been running uh, a facility and they've been running it with a uh, shoebox master keying and haven't had an incident, they're in, in the situation of someone who's been running a stop sign every day on their way to work for years. Mm. And you know, maybe maybe it's okay to run that stop sign, but one day they're going to run the stop sign. They're either going to get in an accident or they're going to get a ticket. Great analogy. So yeah. It's time to stop running the stop sign. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Perfect. I, excellent, excellent answer. Great. And I, I just have one more question, Lloyd. What are some of the differences between working in a production master key department and working in commercial or institutional locksmith settings? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. Um, people don't realize this unless you actually work in, in a factory, the, the pressure that's on you, you know, I talked about the submittal process and the new construction process. There's a lot of work that's done to get a master keyed order for locks into a factory. There are a lot of people, there's the, the salespeople and there's the hardware distributors and there's the submittal review process. and and then when the order gets in, people begin to detail it and say, okay, wait a minute, uh, you know, what finish do you want here? And this hand of the door doesn't appear to be right and that, that kind of thing. And all that's very time consuming. And usually the last step in the process is the master keying. 
And when we get an order in a factory master key department, at that point, the clock is ticking, the order arrives on your desk, and usually there's a sales manager chasing you and says, look, uh, we need to ship this next week. <laughs> can, can you get this order mm -hmm. off your desk tonight? And there's really no time to make suggestions or make, uh, make changes in the system or note, hey, there's a better way to do this. So when you're, when you're in the field, that's the time to look at the system and say, wait a minute, now I can break this up into systems and it'll make it uh, safer and more secure. Or, you know, instead of doing all this cross keying that's gonna uh, really add to the brittleness of our system, um, we could put a different type of lock in here. You know, we can use access control in this one door and then the rest of the system is well behaved. Those are things that we just can't do in the factory. In the factory, it's get this order moving and get this order moving now. Mm -hmm. Very different working environment. Wow, you've covered a lot of different topics, Lloyd, and I think you've answered them beautifully. Uh, I hope in the future we can do this again and continue on some of the many other topics we did not have the chance to cover. Oh, I do too. Especially, you know, whenever I talk to you, Bill, I think of interchangeable core. So we should really, <laughs> we, we should, uh, we should get together and do this again and just talk about IC. But, Beautiful. Uh, it's really great talking about these things. And uh, I hope it's valuable to your listeners. And I'm looking forward to doing it again. Let me ask you this, Lloyd, if, if someone listening wanted to contact you for consulting purposes, your company is called King Solutions. Is there a a website or a way they can contact you should they like yeah to? we we don't have a huge web presence so yeah oh, okay kingsolutions.com i i think we're on there but really you can just uh reach me um uh l celeber l s e l i b e r at kingsolutions.com all Perfect. one word and Great. yeah and, and a good way to learn more about master king is is to take the classes we've we've found yes. that Master King really lends itself well to uh, to online training because it's basically you know a set of algebra exercises. So we can do it really. Actually, in some ways, it's better online than in a two day classroom environment where you're just trying to cram in as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, and they could sign up for those classes through uh, on the World Wide Web through aloa.org. And that'd be one way they can uh, get involved with the webinars and the classes that are online. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, and also we talked uh, earlier about key retainer devices. Anyone interested in seeing more about those can go to the World Wide Web at ICLSglobal.com. And uh, I'm happy to talk to you more about those if you want to give me an email and uh, a list of the companies that we work with around the country. So yes, Lloyd, this has been great. And I look forward to uh, seeing you again and talking with you again uh, on these topics soon. Great, thanks a bunch. Thank you again to Security Pro Supply for sponsoring Locksmith Talk with Aloha. Security Pro Supply is the new parent brand for HL Flake, International Key Supply, HE Mitchell and McDonald Dash companies. These existing company names will continue to live on, but by bringing them together under the SPS parent brand, they can communicate a unified mission, which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. Be sure to visit them at securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the existing company's e-commerce sites. 
You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through ALOA. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Thanks so much for listening to Locksmith Talk with ALOA. As your podcast host, William Link, until next time, stay well.